If you think you're a hurtful person to someone you care about, go to healedbeing.com and get the first four lessons free. Healed Being is a program that I created to help the emotionally abusive person change. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice that you'll ever get in your life. This is the show-stopping piece of advice. This is the one piece of advice that, had I known before, uh, it would have changed my life. That is, before you go on vacation, make sure there is no food (laughs) anywhere in the house that uh, is either on a piece of paper towel or a dish or in the garbage not even a smidgen on a napkin just make sure there's nothing like that in the house before you go because when you return you will have a house full of bugs (laughs) so that is the only piece of advice that I'm going to give you this episode and uh, that's it show's over And I want you to go out and have vacations, have a great life, and take this advice with you. Of course, I'm kidding. Of course, that's not the advice I want to give you today. I mean, it is an excellent piece of advice because when my girlfriend and I returned from vacation, the kitchen, the living room, uh, her office, my office, we found so many fruit flies. It was gross (laughs) so we had to figure out where they were coming from and there was I guess a paper towel in the garbage and it had a little bit of food on it it was just like a wrapper it wasn't even food it was just a wrapper or something and that decomposed and grew fungus or bacteria and it's just awful so I'm telling you this not to waste your time I'm telling you this because it really is a good piece of advice if you're gone for an extended period of time do not leave any food anywhere not in the sink not in the garbage because it can turn into a bug attractor and reproducer so we're still dealing with that we've vacuumed a lot we've um, cleaned up a lot and we're getting rid of them one by one but I still have one land in my tea every now and then so we're gonna figure that out and um, this is one of those podcast violations where you're not supposed to waste the audience time talking about your personal life and just talking about mundane information but I think this is very important and I wanted to tell you about it just in case you were going to be gone for an extended period of time and it's a good practice anyway don't leave food around don't leave food in the garbage 
because uh, something else will come along and eat it. So we don't want that. So let me get to today's first topic, which is really about what promotes um, what you want. And let me expand upon that. While we were on vacation, I noticed something that helped me understand what it takes to do what I really want to do. And that was being in an environment that facilitates what I want to do. Again, let me expand. Let's just say that you want to read a book. It is very difficult to read a book when you're in an environment where you're doing other things or you are used to doing other things. For example, let's just say that uh, you're in the living room, the TV's on, and maybe if you have kids, there are kids around, and you're trying to read a book, but it's very difficult. Or you read a few lines and you just can't get anywhere because there's just too much going on. If you were to put yourself in an environment that facilitated reading, then you'll find that you'll be able to get a lot more done. Now, this doesn't mean it has to be a library or a bookstore or a coffee shop. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is when you're in an environment that you can ask yourself, what would I like to do in this environment? I think that's a good question. What would I like to do in this environment? For example, our front porch faces our front lawn and there's some trees and it's a quiet road and it's really nice. I love sitting on my front porch. I love sitting on my back porch. But we go out on the front porch and that really facilitates quiet time. And it also facilitates talking to each other and connecting. Inside the house, it isn't so much that. Even though we talk to each other and we connect, inside the house doesn't really facilitate a deeper connecting, intimate, bonding experience. There are times where we can do that easily, but outside the house, we notice how it amplifies wanting to connect with each other. And so I'm noticing this as we're on vacation and as we return, and when we walked into the house and we had to deal with the bug issue. <laughs> but after we took care of the bugs and now we're in mostly a bug-free environment again, I walk around the house thinking about all the places we stayed, all the family we saw, all the environments we were in, sometimes next to the lake, sometimes near the woods, sometimes with family. All these environments facilitated different things I wanted to do. When it was just us inside the cabin, all I wanted to do was watch TV. <laughs> that sounds terrible because we're on vacation, but... I didn't really feel like doing anything else. You know, I got my laptop out, I did some emails, but even that was difficult. All I wanted to do was just watch mindless entertainment. When I went outside the cabin, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to walk around. We walked up to the stream. Uh, that was a long walk, but it, we both did that and we got some exercise and it was great because we spent some time in nature. And then when we drove to family and we met family, we wanted to connect with family and talk with them. But how we felt about the conversation and where the conversation went was predicated on where exactly we were. Inside the house, outside the house, on the road, at dinner. And made me realize that 
if I really want to do something badly enough, it's important I put myself in the environment to do it. So if I wanted to read, it's probably not a good idea to read in the living room. The living room is a place of activity. It's got different energy. It's got a different feeling. And there are people that walk in and out. You know, in this house, it's my girlfriend. She walks in and out. She's not a bother. In fact, she's the opposite. I love seeing her. I love connecting with her. And that's the problem (laughs) because I can't read. If she's around, I can't read. Just like it's hard for me to write some of the deeper stuff that I have to write, like in some of the lessons that I create and stuff. It's hard to do that when there are other people around. I have to have complete silence and just time to myself. And I can do that in my office where I can shut the door. And often I have some sort of calm music on. And that helps. And what I'm doing is creating the environment that facilitates what I want to do. And so I know that you may already know this. I, I know that you may already know this, but I want to I want to share this with you just in case you don't and just in case you can't figure out why you can't get certain things done. For example, I used to go to a coffee shop with my laptop to get work done. And when I did that, I seemed to get more work done. I could sit in a coffee shop for, I don't know, seven or eight hours. And without that interruption, I get a lot done. So sometimes it's helpful to get out of my house and go down the road and spend some time doing what I need to do in an environment that is different than the one I'm in. If you've never thought about this or haven't thought about it to this extent, I want you to do that. I mean, if you want. I think it's important to understand that when you have an environment that facilitates the thing that you want to do or accommodates the thing that you want to do, then the thing that you want to do becomes a reality and you want to want to do it, if that makes sense. When I'm at home, I don't necessarily want to read. But if I'm out and about and I definitely don't bring my laptop and I just have a book, then I want to read. If I'm next to the lake and I'm just enjoying nature, you might think that it's best to just sit there and enjoy nature, which it might be for you. But for me, I need something a little bit more. And reading in nature gives me the opportunity to connect with myself, to connect with the writing, the content, to connect with nature. And they all just seem to synergize. They all feel like they're a part of one another. And I think this is where I'm going with this, is that when you're in an environment that feels like that it's accommodating what you want to do, what kind of activity that you want, and how you want to feel, and how you want to think, what ends up happening is that you find the right combination of ingredients to make happen what you want to happen. If you want to read, if you want to exercise, if you want to take a walk, if you just want quiet time, if you want to connect, if you want to ground, if you want to meditate, whatever you want to do, I think the environment plays a huge role. And it makes sense that your environment plays a huge role in what you want to accomplish in your life because your mind becomes preoccupied with what's going to happen I think a lot is when I'm in the living room my mind becomes preoccupied even unconsciously my mind is a little preoccupied that she could walk into the room any second 
or a solicitor could knock on the door at any second. I may not be thinking about it consciously, but subconsciously, it's in there. I might even have some inner dialogue that says, I hope somebody doesn't knock on the door right now. I'm enjoying myself. I don't want that to happen. But that's an intrusive thought. Why would we want intrusive thoughts? It's so much easier to be in an environment where you don't have any type of intrusive thought, even though that has a negative connotation. But the idea of some thought coming along that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise if you were in a different environment. Even my car has a certain feel. My girlfriend's car, I don't even like the feel of her car. When I'm in her car, all I want to do is open the window and stare out. I mean, of course, we talk as well, but there's a certain feeling I get in her car that's different than my car. And so there's a difference there as well. And I want you to start thinking about the environments that you prefer doing things in to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. If you want to read, if you want to exercise, if you want to meditate, whatever the environment is, think of yourself doing those things in your current environment and then think about doing those things in a different one. Like ask yourself, what would it feel like if I was doing that behavior or that activity in this environment? And just think about the environments that you might want to be in. What would it feel like if I was reading next to the lake? That would feel pretty good to me. What would it feel like if I was playing with a yo-yo next to the lake? I would feel good about that too. What would I do if I was riding a bicycle next to the lake? I might not like that for some reason. I might not want that because maybe the lake helps me feel calm or still. And maybe that bike riding is too much movement for that environment. For me, it could be totally opposite for you. But this, I believe, can be helpful when you're planning things, when you're planning time to yourself uh, or time with others. When you understand how an environment affects what you're doing and how you feel, you find yourself planning accordingly. Like, let's not talk in the kitchen, let's talk in the front yard. That's going to be a different feeling. It might be the same conversation, but it's going to feel different. It reminds me of uh, the interview I had a long time ago when I first started the show. I interviewed people. One of them was Charlie Hone. He's actually a contributor to the safe system on anxiety over at quietbegins.com. I made sure to get him in that program because he gave a really good piece of advice on anxiety. He wrote a book on it. He wrote a blog on it. And he said, you know, I used to have this debilitating anxiety and I would meet my friends for coffee and even during coffee with a friend, I would have this anxiety and it just never went away. So he asked his friend one day, hey, how about instead of talking inside the coffee shop, we go outside and throw a ball to each other while we talk. His friend, I think, thought it was a little strange, but they decided to do that. And he said, When I did that, I was outside, I had this ball, and we were tossing it back and forth, something totally different than we'd normally do. My anxiety went away. He said, during those times when I facilitated movement, when we were in a different environment, my anxiety wasn't there. So this is one of the steps he took to get out of anxiety and I share that because it just proves that your environment and the way you feel in that environment is going to help create a certain feeling inside of you 
and change the way you think and talk and act and it will be just a different experience. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need a different experience and that can help. So think about all the environments that you are around or are in and think about the environments you'd like to be in and then match those up with the certain activities that you'd like to do or just wanting to connect with yourself or ground or meditate or whatever it is for you and do your best to get into the right environment so that you can create a better place for you to get stuff done or think about things in a different way so that life can become at least 1% better, (laughs) if not 100% better. I always look for those steps that help me feel better inside and improve my life. So this is a little different than what I normally talk about on the show, but I wanted to share that because it is something that I learned while on vacation, and I hope it helps you too. When we come back, I'm going to read you an email about someone who's tried almost everything to heal from a relationship and issues from her past and is really trying to process and heal. And uh, maybe I can relate it to what I just talked about. We'll see. But it's a good question. So we'll be right back. I'll read the email and we'll see where it goes. Be right back after this. So here's something interesting. Best Fiends is a mobile game that I've been playing for a few months now and they are a sponsor of this show and um, I talk about them on the air and I tell my girlfriend about you know the sponsors I have on the show and the products and services that they offer and when I mentioned Best Fiends she said what's that? <laughs> I said it's a game it's a mobile game that you drag your finger and match some colors and when you do those things disappear and the items drop and then you match those colors and she said that sounds fun let me check it out which was interesting because I never told her to download it but she did she downloaded it actually she played my version first she played on my phone and then she said oh I like this game I want to download it and so she downloaded it to her phone and um, several hours later <laughs> she's still playing it And she said, oh, this game has a lot of strategy. This game has a lot of skill. And I love it. I love this game. Those were her words exactly. I love this game. And so I thought, okay, during vacation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to what she says about the game. So during our downtimes, in the environment that facilitated some mindless fun, uh, she pulled out the game and started playing. And I pulled out my laptop and I started typing what she said during the game because she's one of those people that will talk during the game and say things like oh it feels so satisfying obliterating stuff she actually said that (laughs) and uh, I kept listening and I wrote a few more down she said I don't want to beat the level yet because I want to get more stuff I thought that was funny and then she says yes I see you stop wiggling (laughs) so I typed them in my computer I thought it was funny And there's all kinds of things that she said. Uh, I got a new fiend. There's a lot of strategy. There are a lot of tricks. All right, slug Maggetti or something like that. So she kept saying this stuff and I kept laughing. And then she asked, why are you laughing? And I said, because I'm writing down what you're saying during the game. I want to talk about it on the air. 
<laughs> so she thought that was fun. So I'm telling you this because it is a fun game. And I don't even want to begin to tell you what happened when she introduced it to her mom. Uh, well, I can say this. Let's just say that now her mom is way ahead of both of us. I think she's a little bit obsessed. <laughs> so if you want to find a casual mobile puzzle game, uh, sort of like a match three plus puzzle game where it makes you feel like a kid again or just gives you an opportunity to use your brain in a way that feels good. It's a very rewarding game and I think you're going to love it. Go to Google Play or the Apple App Store and download Best Fiends for free today. It's friends without the R. Best Fiends. There's new content added all the time. You're never bored. Check out Best Fiends at Google Play or the Apple App Store today. And speaking of fun, we just came back from vacation and I got to tell you, there's a difference between going on vacation and actually having an adventurous vacation or even a fun vacation. Sometimes vacations aren't as fun as they could be. Uh, we visited a lot of family, enjoyed ourselves, we had a great time, but it was an occupied time. We had a lot of our time occupied and we thought, what can we do next time where we are not so occupied and we can actually have time to ourselves and do what we want to do and this is where a change in the environment comes in and what better way to change your environment than to work with someone who loves fun and knows that it's at the heart of every experience and service they offer. I'm talking about FunJet. They believe that travel is not just a ticket to a destination. It's a gateway to an experience with the people that matter most. They know how to make your time off a lighthearted experience, filling your day-to-day -day with a deeper sense of well-being and joy. FunJet is an expert in the industry. They offer exclusive package deals to Mexico and the Caribbean and other amazing destinations and are a one-stop shop for your vacation needs. Yes, my girlfriend and I need to look at this because when we go on vacation, it's always to see family. And this time, we want to do something for ourselves. And for a limited time, you can do this for yourself too. You can use the promo code FUNJET75 for $75 off your next FUNJET vacation to Ryu Hotels and Resorts. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly resort or an adults-only getaway, there's a Ryu Hotel and Resort for you. I mean, if you're looking for a sign to use some of that hard-earned paid time off and have some much-needed fun, FunJet Vacations is going to give you $75 off your next FunJet vacation at Ryu Hotels and Resorts. So check them out. Go to FunJet.com, use the promo code FUNJET75, and do it quick because this offer is valid between October 15th and December of 2021. Restrictions apply. Go to FunJet.com, use the promo code FUNJET75, and make lasting memories. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read you an email from someone who has a challenge that they're going through that I'm going to do my best to help them through it. This person wrote, Hey Paul, I just started listening to your podcast about two weeks ago and it has already begun changing my state of mind. I want to thank you for that. You are welcome. Thank you for sharing that. I grew up in an emotionally abusive and unstable home. My mother passed away when I was younger and my father had no clue how to raise me and my siblings without her. He turned to alcohol and became depressed and emotionally unavailable. 
Uh, I grew up feeling abandoned by my parents, unsafe in my world, and not good enough to be loved. I developed anorexia nervosa as a result of my chaotic family dynamics, and it almost ruined my relationships with my friends and family. Thankfully, when I moved out of the toxic environment and went to college, it was enough to begin the process of healing from the dependence on the eating disorder for control. Unfortunately, it never went away, just got sneakier over the years, disguising itself as uber-healthy eating and extreme exercising. I met and married the man of my dreams, or so I thought. Several years, a house and a dog later, he divorced me for another woman because of my emotional instability, my depression, my strict routines, all stemming from the feeling of not being good enough to be loved from childhood. When we divorced, it finally kicked my butt toward change. Unfortunately, the divorce also just reinforced the thought of not being enough as I am. I'm constantly working on myself and the healing process. And although I do see significant progress and change, I still have trouble accepting and processing what happened. Is this a normal part of the healing process? I know no one has a specific timeline, but I've tried meditation, praying, crying, talking, behavioral therapy, gratitude, and screaming at the top of my lungs while punching my pillow. I've read and reread self-help books, listened to other podcasts, and began writing my story as a way to heal and also for publication, since, like you, I think my story needs to be heard to let others know they aren't alone. Do you have any advice on anything more I can do? I want to attract good things into my world, including a future partner, but I still feel like I'm dwelling in my past and blaming myself for my failure at my marriage. Thank you so much for all that you are doing for so many of us that are lost and feeling alone. Okay, thanks so much for sharing that. That's a tough place to be, and I'm my heart is with you. I know you're in a challenging situation right now. And to me, you know, let me just say this first off. To me, it still sounds like you are dealing with, and maybe you said this in so many words, dealing with uh, self-worth issues. You did say that in so many words, but you're dealing with self-worth issues here, and those are kicking your butt, especially with all the reinforcement that you are seeing from others. Getting a divorce, you know, this reinforcement that you're not worthy, you know, at least that's what's in your mind. I must not be worthy, otherwise why would that person do what they did? So let me just begin with this. Let's talk about uh, your ex. You got a divorce and you said that he divorced you for another woman because of your emotional instability, your depression, your strict routines, all stemming from the feeling of not being good enough to be loved from childhood. That is a massive assumption. I mean, you know the situation. You believe that it had everything to do with that. And yes, all that stuff probably played a part. But what I'm reading is... He started focusing on another person while still married to you. That's what I'm reading. Sure, you could be depressed. You could have these uh, strict processes or routines. You could be difficult. You could be the most difficult person in the world. But what I'm reading in your message is that he is focused on someone else instead of trying to deal with the challenges of the marriage that he's in. So you could absolutely be very challenging. (laughs) I'm just going to say that right off. Maybe you're challenging 
maybe you do have these strict routines. Maybe you, your emotional state is very wild and who knows what to expect day after day. But should that lead to the person who has promised to work with you and work through the thick and thin and the better or the worse, should that lead them to look at someone else and then divorce you for someone else? I mean, I don't know the whole story. I'm only reading what you shared here. But if he was focused on someone else while still married, what you wrote, and in this context, what I'm reading is that you are blaming yourself for all this stuff that you're dealing with and you're trying to heal from. You're blaming yourself for him focused on other people instead of exhausting every resource to make the marriage work. That's what I read. I mean, I could be wrong. You may say, oh, no, he did. He exhausted every single resource. We went to couples counseling. He told me straight up, hey, if you don't deal with this stuff, I can't handle it, so I'm leaving. You didn't tell me any of that, and maybe that happened, but if it didn't, then it's not your fault. It's not your fault that he left. And let me give you an example. For example, if my girlfriend was experiencing everything that you're talking about, the first thing I would do is if she were difficult to live with, I would tell her, hey, you're being so difficult. Why are you being so difficult? Stop being difficult. Let's work together. We're, we're a couple. I want to make this work. And you're just making it difficult. So please stop. That's me enforcing a boundary and letting her know that I want this relationship to work. But I'm not going to go outside the marriage and look at other people and think, oh, the grass is greener over there. Maybe I should do that instead. I'm not judging people for doing this. I'm not saying that that happens in certain circumstances. I'm just saying in the context of what you've written here, I need to see some effort on the person who feels like the relationship isn't going anywhere, at least before they just divorce you, because your words were, he divorced you for another woman because of your emotional instability, depression, strict routines, and blaming yourself for not being good enough to be loved from childhood. So I want you to stop blaming yourself for that. I know, easier said than done, but hear me out, because if you're blaming yourself for him leaving you for another woman, you're looking in the wrong place. There are difficulties in relationships all the time, but that doesn't mean that one should just get up and leave because the grass looks greener on the other side, Maybe it means that your husband in this case should have said, look, there's a lot of challenges here. We need to figure this out. We need to fix it. We need to work through it. We need to do something about it. So I'm hoping that he did do that. I'm hoping that he wanted to work with you and figure this out together so that it didn't sound like all he did was say, I can't stand it. I'm leaving. So that's the first part of this. I'm, I might be completely wrong about that. And if I am, I apologize. And again, I'm not here judging that behavior. There's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of situations and challenges in relationships out there. So I'm just addressing this specific message in the way it's written. My goal is to make sure that you don't look at yourself for someone else's decision-making process. If your husband saw someone else and got to know someone else and thought that life would be better with her without even addressing any of the challenges that you're having together and trying to work with them and trying to work with you, then that's not your fault. You have issues. And yes, it does take a special kind of person to be with someone who has issues. When I met my girlfriend, she had a lot of healing to do from childhood sexual abuse. I mean, she was in her 40s when we met. 
and you know, so was I, and we had a lot of trust issues. We had a lot of challenges, and there were times that I really felt like, oh my God, this uh, relationship isn't worth it. It's just too much work, and there's just so much going on inside of her that I can't help her with, and if she doesn't trust me, then why am I even here? But instead of just packing up and leaving, I addressed this with her. I said, you don't trust me? Why don't you trust me? I can't be with someone that doesn't trust me. That's pretty much what I told her right at the beginning. And that really started some very deep, very hard conversations that we needed to have in order to get through it. But it doesn't mean she was broken or not worth loving. It doesn't mean any of that. It just meant that we needed to address this stuff. And so I'm hoping your husband helped you address this stuff and talk through it. But from the way you're talking, it doesn't sound that way. And maybe he tried in other ways. But uh, again, my goal is to make sure that you don't blame yourself for this. If I had just left and said, oh, I can't stand this. This is ridiculous. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Even though that would have been my right to do so because I'm honoring myself, I'm honoring my boundaries. If I did so without trying to work on things and at least letting her know why I wanted to leave so that hopefully it would turn into a conversation, then it wouldn't have been her fault. It would have been me. I would have been taking steps without involving her and without including her in my decision-making process. And it's not fair for me to blame her for something that I don't want to deal with or can't handle. And who knows where he was? He may not know how to deal with it. And I'm not saying that everyone has to deal with um, a lot of emotional challenges or relationship struggles. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. I'm just saying a conversation should take place so there's clear communication on what's going on and where things are and where things are going to go and not just get up and leave. So let me go into a couple other things in your email. You said you developed uh, anorexia nervosa and when you moved out of the toxic environment and went to college, it was enough to begin the process of healing from the dependence of the eating disorder for control, but it never went away. It just got sneakier over the years, disguising itself as uber healthy eating and extreme exercising. So I'm not sure if you're saying it's still present in you, but yes, that's a very serious thing. And I would like you to ask yourself why you do it. That's a simple question, and I'm not saying it's an easy answer, but maybe you know it. Why do you do it? You're probably going to say, because when I feel stressed, or when I feel anxious, or when something, something, something. You'll probably say something like that, or something completely different. But answering the question, why do you do it, helps you know what you need to address. Let's just say I asked you, why do you have that eating disorder? You might say, well, when I feel out of control, I have to blank, you know, purge or whatever your behavior is. When I feel this, I have to do that. What you're feeling that causes you to do that is what needs to be addressed. And I'm being very simple here. I'm not getting deep into the psychological stuff that's all connected to this, but I really want you to be aware of the why you do it so that you know what to address. Let's just say it is control. When I feel out of control, I need to do this behavior. So my question would be, let's just dive into the worst case scenario. What would happen if you lost control? That's the question I want you to answer. What would happen if you lost control? I mean, if you're worried about losing control, 
what would happen if you lost control. And don't say, well, I need to purge. I need to be this anorexic person or do this behavior. Don't say that at all because we already know that exists in your life, or at least if you still do it. But let's just say that control was the issue. If you lost control, what would happen? You might say something like, if I lost control, I would be really stressed. Yeah, that might be how you feel, but what would happen? What would be the sequence of events that would happen after that? Okay, you get stressed. So what would happen if you lost control and you were stressed? Well, I would become anxious. What would happen if you lost control, you were stressed, and you were anxious? What would happen? Well, I, I might um, cry. What would happen if you lost control and you were stressed and you were anxious and you were crying? What would happen then? Well, I might... And you just go forward from there. You go on and on until you get to the point where you really can't answer the question. Or you find the answer. Because what happens in some addictions or some conditions is that there's a point in the sequence of events that might happen that we don't want to face, that we don't want to think about. And because we don't want to face that point or think about that point, we do some other behavior instead. An alcoholic might not want to ever feel the emotional pain of love lost or parental neglect or some other big thing in their life. So instead of feeling that pain, they'll drink. For you, instead of feeling what you feel, you'll do the behavior that makes up anorexia nervosa. So what I want you to do is really make sure you know what you're either avoiding, trying not to think about, trying not to feel, so that you know what your behavior does to override what would happen instead. That's why I asked you those what would happen questions. Okay, what would happen if XYZ? And you drill into that until you get to a point where it goes so deep that maybe you'll come up with something you haven't thought of yet, or maybe it's one of your deepest, darkest fears, and what would happen if that came true? And then what would happen after that? And how about what would be worse than that? And then what would be worse than that? That is, drilling down into the deepest, darkest, worst-case scenario uh, until you get to the point where you understand why you do it. Because I don't like to have people change behavior. I mean, yeah, it would be great if I could just say, just change your behavior. Don't do that anymore. But I don't really ask people to do that. I just want them to understand why they do it and what they're avoiding to make them do it or what they're not addressing to make them do it or what they don't want to feel to make them do it so that they understand everything about it. Because there's a lot of times where people will put up a wall and then stop at that wall. So you might think to yourself, well, I don't want to feel out of control. So you put up this wall. And if you ever reach this wall or think that you might be being pushed past it, then you'll do the anorexic behavior. But when you think about what would happen if you did get pushed past it, what would happen next? What are you trying to avoid feeling? What are you trying to avoid thinking or facing? 
then you're putting yourself in a deeper space that you may not have addressed before and you may not have ever allowed yourself to go there. Like you said, you know, I cried, I've meditated, I've done all this stuff, but I'm willing to bet that you haven't drilled down so deep that you tackled the very core, the very origin of everything going on in your life. And it could be something as simple as my mom never said she loved me or how about this, I'm angry at her for dying. I'm angry at my dad for not caring. There's a lot that went on in your childhood that I think it's okay to address. I mean, for you, you, you'll have to maybe talk to a professional about this, of course, but in the meantime, there might be a lot of anger and you might think, well, I shouldn't be angry at her because, you know, she couldn't help dying. But sometimes we hold things back that we're actually feeling just because we don't think it's right to feel them about certain people. For example, I felt anger toward my stepfather my whole life. I never knew about it, first of all. And I never allowed myself to get angry because I shouldn't be angry at him. After all, he's sick. He doesn't know what he's doing, you know, because he was an alcoholic. And so I held on to this anger for so long and it affected my relationships. And one day I decided, you know what? I'm not only going to be angry at him, I'm going to hate him. Maybe there's something like that in you. Maybe there's a feeling or a thought or an emotion that you are just pushing yourself not to think or feel. The mind and body cannot hold on to things that don't have closure, that don't have healing, without them turning into some sort of dysfunction or condition or problem or challenge in your life. So what happens is you develop these coping behaviors in order to try to deal with them. But often what those coping behaviors are are avoidance measures. So you try to avoid thinking or feeling a certain thing and you do something else to avoid it. Just like anorexia and bulimia and other conditions are often coping mechanisms that are there so that you don't have to face what's really painful or hurtful or makes you angry inside. I think one of the biggest disservices that we've done in our lives as humans is when we feel something towards someone and we tell ourselves we shouldn't feel that way towards someone, it starts to eat away at us. It starts to destroy us from the inside out because we hold back, we hold it in, and we think we shouldn't feel that way about that person, but we do. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you feel a certain way about someone that maybe doesn't deserve that, but you still feel it. You still feel maybe the anger or the hate or the hurt in some way, and you don't want to experience it. You don't want to feel it inside yourself, but sometimes you need to. The biggest release in my life was when I admitted that I hated someone I loved. That was the biggest release in my life because I finally admitted it. I finally let it out. And it was the pressure release that I needed in order to love them differently, in order to heal myself because it's a lot easier to feel love and let go of the negativity when you heal. And sometimes you have to reach that point 
of releasing the pressure, something you don't want to feel towards someone else, but you do it anyway. You allow the feeling to come up and out of you, and then something changes inside of you because you finally let it go. And it's a lot different than what it was. And it can often lead to changes in your behavior. So there's that part of it. And I don't, again, I don't know if you're still dealing with that condition or not, but there's a lot of what I just said that could be creating some issues for you in your relationship and in your own life. And you said, you know, you've gone through a lot of healing already and you're seeing the significant progress and change, but it's still not enough. And you said, I still have trouble accepting and processing what happened. And you ask, is this a normal part of the healing process? Let me put it this way. Every step of healing is normal. Even the one step forward and the two steps back. It's all normal. It is all part of the process. It is all about learning how you heal best. Everyone's a little different. Some people need to go deeper. Some people don't. Some people just need to be told, nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Just forget about it. Move on. Who cares? It's the past. Go into the future. Don't think about the past. Some people can hear that and go, okay, I'll do that. You told me I can, so now I will. You may not be able to do that. I know if somebody told me that, uh, I couldn't do it. (laughs) So, yes, what you're going through is absolutely normal. Is it part of a regular healing process? The healing process itself is very difficult if you don't address the origin, if you don't get to the core. In fact, let me let you in on a little secret, and I've said this before, so it's really not a secret, but if you haven't heard this before, it's important. It is this. When you know exactly the origin or the core issue that is at the deepest layer inside you that created some of the challenges in your life or most of the challenges in your life, when you know it, when you discover it, when you realize the very core issue or issues, it often dissipates by itself. And I know this for a fact because when I discovered my hatred for my stepfather, which is not there anymore, because I chose to accept it and let it out and express it, not to him, but just uh, to my future wife at the time, when I finally discovered there was hatred in there, and it may not be hatred for you, I'm just giving you my example, when I discovered it was in there, I didn't have to try to heal anymore. The healing just took place because I had been resisting most of our healing takes place when the resistance stops. And the resistance often stops when we've discovered the core issue or issues because we're no longer keeping those issues alive by resisting. What you resist persists. What you resist amplifies. What you resist creates this negative energy ball inside of you and precipitates so much struggle and strife and dysfunction and conditions and maybe even disease. It's like the victim of childhood abuse or childhood sexual abuse where their, let's just say their father is beating them or sexually abusing them when they're a child and the mother maybe knows about it and does nothing about it because she's being abused too or she's too scared but the child is experiencing all this pain and fear and then the child grows up with maybe some real challenges, real 
unhealed trauma that they need to deal with, but they haven't been able to. And um, they don't realize that they have a deep, dark hatred for their mom because it was their dad who abused them. And they think that they should be mad at their dad, but maybe they're not mad at their dad, or maybe they are in a different way, but they're even madder at their mom for not protecting them or mad at them for something else. And maybe they think, well, I can't be mad at her. I should be mad at him because he's the one who did all the bad stuff. And I know that she was just trying her best and she was scared too. So we start justifying her behavior instead of just allowing ourselves to feel what we really feel towards someone that maybe they didn't do anything to us or maybe they didn't do enough or maybe we did feel unloved and unworthy of being protected because that can be in there too. So this is why unhealed trauma can often last for decades before we're finally, and if we're finally able to heal from them because we've chosen to stop resisting what might really be in there. I, I really want you to never say, I shouldn't feel that way. Take that out of your vocabulary. Never say, I shouldn't feel that way. I want you to say, that's the way I feel. That's what's going on inside of me. That's how I feel. Well, you shouldn't feel that way about that person. No, that is how I feel. Well, that's wrong. You shouldn't feel that way because that person didn't do anything wrong. Doesn't matter. I feel that way. That's how I feel. Take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to me because that's how I feel. And that's what I'm going through. I'm hoping you never have a conversation like that. I'm hoping no one ever invalidates your feelings, but especially don't invalidate your own. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. So let me finish with this person. She said, I began writing my story as a way to heal. Excellent idea. When you write stuff out, what it does is it slows the mind down and helps you process things a piece at a time. Because when we just think about it, what ends up happening is a lot of um, stuff fills the gaps and makes things go really fast. So you might have had a traumatic situation in the past that spends 10 seconds, 30 seconds in your mind, but then you're on to the next thing, where if you wrote it down, you're going to spend some time on that. You're going to be writing it out and remembering things in a different way because you're slowing your brain down. So I really appreciate when people write out what they've been through and how it made them feel and how they feel about it now, it can be very helpful. It's almost like you are teaching yourself how to feel what you feel. I know it's a little strange, but when you write out how you feel, what you're thinking, it's like you're teaching yourself. And if you show it to others, you're teaching others as well. And what I mean by that is as you write it out, you get to learn about yourself. You know, when this happened, I was six years old, and I remember being next to the sandbox, and some other kid came up and punched me in the face, and I felt really bad about that. And as I'm writing this, I'm learning that I also have some resentment that I've never let go. Because you wrote it out, you helped slow down the processes that normally take place in lightning speed because your brain is really fast. But writing it out slows that down. So that's great. I'm glad that you're writing it out. And I do hope you share it with others if you want. Because that can be very helpful to others. And you said you want to attract good things into your world, including a future partner. 
but you still feel like, uh, I quote, I'm dwelling in the past and blaming myself for my failure at my marriage. That was not your failure. That was a traumatic time for you. You went through more trauma. Being in a relationship helps amplify and mirror what we're going through. This is something that is very difficult for certain people to understand. When you get into a relationship and your partner is going through a lot of trauma, if they don't know how to handle that trauma or deal with it or talk to you about it, then what they might do is go into fight or flight. Like, whoa, I don't want to deal with this. I'm out of here. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It could mean a number of things, but really what it comes down to is, and I've already said this, he should have had hard conversations with you. He should have said, look, when I come home, you're depressed and that really makes me sad and I don't want you to be depressed. We need to work this out. We need to work through this. Or on the weekends, you're so strict and you tell me to wash each dish a certain way and I just feel micromanaged and it's driving me crazy. I need you to stop. Yeah, he might have to get in your face. I need you to stop doing that because it's driving me crazy. Because you may be doing these things as your own survival or coping mechanisms and not realizing just how much it's affecting the other person, but you want to stay in control. But if the other person doesn't know how to handle that or talk to you about that and they just run away, that's not your problem. It's just something that they weren't prepared for or didn't know how to deal with or didn't know how to talk to you. It would be great if he knew how to talk to you about it or knew how to honor himself to the point where he said, you need to back off and you need to calm down or... And it would be great if he was more communicative and more honest and more upfront about everything going on so that he didn't just suddenly walk out making you think it's all your fault. Because we all have issues. We all have challenges. But we need people in our life to be honest with us and tell us if there's an issue they have with us, even if we already know the issue. Because we need to know how it affects them. But there's a lot more to that I could get into and You know, it's very difficult. Some relationship challenges are very difficult and very hard to deal with. But I wanted you to make sure that you don't stay in self-blame because it's important to understand that when you're in a relationship, people should talk more and be open. Even the person that has no love left for the person they're with. I told my girlfriend once, I would never cheat on you because you would know if I were no longer in love with you first. I didn't say exactly that, but... I told her this because I know that I'm going to exhaust every effort to make this relationship work. And if I can't, she'll know where the relationship is heading. She won't be surprised. A relationship ending shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, sometimes it is, but it shouldn't be. It should be obvious what's happening. Hey, look, we're trying and it's not working. Uh, I'll try one more time. And if it doesn't work, I'm leaving. I'm just being upfront. I'm just being honest. But it can be difficult for a lot of people to do that. So yes, I want you to attract a good partner for yourself as well. And I also want you to stop dwelling in the past and blaming yourself. But I think everything I just talked about is going to help you get to that point. Um, I want you to really get in touch with what you're resisting. Let me just give you this last bit of information. It's along the lines of what you resist persists. If you can write down what you're resisting, what you don't want to feel and allow yourself to feel that and accept the certain thoughts or feelings that you have about yourself which often comes with letting go of resistance and realize that what you resist usually diminishes or disappears as soon as you stop resisting it your life is going to get a lot better I told this story just recently 
I literally thought that I was slow, that I was handicapped, and it was in my early 20s, I really thought that my brain function was not up to par, up to standard, because the people around me were so smart and I just couldn't keep up. And so I resisted that. I did not want to be that. I couldn't accept that that's who I was. And the more I resisted, the worse I felt because I thought maybe I could beat this. But one day I decided that I was going to stop resisting it and just say, you know what? I'm a dummy. (laughs) I'm stupid. I'm slow. I am whatever. Whatever I said back then. And when I did, the most wonderful, magical thing happened. I didn't feel that way anymore. This is what I'm talking about. There's a threshold that we put up in front of ourselves, probably from a long time ago, thinking that we don't want to think a certain way or feel a certain way or believe something about ourselves. And as soon as we allow ourselves to push through that threshold and stop resisting what we're thinking and feeling and just allow it to be, what you discover is something more healing than you've ever felt. When I decided to stop resisting that I was mentally challenged in some way, I suddenly didn't feel that way anymore because I allowed myself to feel it. And when I allowed myself to feel it, it healed. It just healed by itself. I'm not saying everything like this is easy. I'm not saying this is going to be the magic pill or that it's going to work for everything in your life, but it is one of the core elements of healing. And I hope you allow yourself to access one of those core elements as well. I am so grateful you wrote. Thank you so much for this. I don't know if this helps or not, and there's a lot to unpack in there and a lot to think about maybe, or maybe the healing has started already just because you expressed it to me, and now you have an opportunity to think about it a little differently. Thanks again for joining me. I wish you much strength and healing. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank FunJet. Go to FunJet.com, use the promo code FUNJET75, and get $75 off your next FunJet vacation to Ryu Hotels and Resorts. I also want to thank Best Fiends. My girlfriend says Best Fiends is her favorite game. Check it out at Google Play or the Apple App Store. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And I have a bunch of people to thank because as I was on vacation, I scheduled ahead and made a bunch of episodes ahead of time. The patrons this week is a a bit longer than normal, but I'm going to read them as fast as possible because of the size of the list. But don't think I am any less grateful or touched by their generosity. These are the financial backers of the show. Maud, Chelsea, Jillian, Daisy, Julie, Deborah, Carol, Brad, Stephen, Holly, Angel, Wanda, Anita, John, Chris, Jillian, Angela, Ward, Michelle, Crystal, Jessica, Jamie, Donald, good to see you again, Kim, Brian, Braun, Samaya, Elaine, Anna, Eric, Christy, Fuang, Allison, Andrea, Anne-Marie, Christy, Kathleen, Meg, Tracy, Victoria. I know, you heard some names twice, but I swear they're spelled differently. (laughs) Thank you so much, patrons. I appreciate you. Thank you for your support of the show. You keep this show going. And if you find value in this show and you'd like to give back, visit moratob.com. You can choose to give a single donation or monthly. And if you become a patron, 
You also get access to the private episodes and private workbooks over at moretob.com. Thank you again, patrons. I also want to mention the Love and Abuse podcast. You know, some relationships are just full of toxicity or full of too much difficulty where you've tried to talk about it, you've tried to work it out. Maybe you leave every relationship feeling guilty or responsible for everything that's going wrong. If that's you or you're trying to deal with it, head over to loveandabuse.com. That is my podcast on difficult relationships. And if you think you're the difficult one, maybe you think that you hurt the people you love and you want to stop doing it, head over to healedbeing.com. And I created a program to help the emotionally abusive person change. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And my final words, you know, when my girlfriend and I were on vacation, one of the shows that we watched while we were settling into bed for the night was a hoarding show where people will collect stuff and then pile it in their homes. And soon their homes become so full of stuff, sometimes garbage, sometimes food. Remember what I said about food and bugs and all kinds of things that can crawl into your house to get that food. There are people out there that do hoard. It's a a serious psychological challenge that um, they're going through and the family goes through. And so um, we're watching this show and they have psychologists that are specialists with hoarding and hoarders. And the psychologist works with the person hoarding and the family. And, you know, during the show, I'm thinking, why doesn't he just say this? Or why doesn't she just say that? Why don't they just do this? And uh, one of the things that I caught that they addressed later, but I didn't think they were going to catch, was when you take away someone's stuff, you know, all these emotional attachments, what ends up happening is that they feel empty. They feel like there's nothing of them left. They feel that they're taking away a part of them. And so I see these hoarding shows and I see people taking away all this stuff and throwing it in the garbage and the person who was hoarding is just feeling like their life is just being destroyed or being picked apart one by one and thrown into the garbage or donated somewhere. And I definitely don't claim to be an expert with this, so this is just an opinion. But I see these shows and I see all the person's stuff getting taken away and the hoarder having such a difficult time with it. And um, one of the things that I didn't think they would address, but they did later, was that if they're not hoarding, then what are they doing? And the reason I say that is because some people will hoard as their coping mechanism, just like we were talking about food earlier. Some people will have an emotional eating challenge where they eat because they don't want to feel hurt or they do want to feel the quick high to replace the hurt or the pain or the sadness, whatever they're feeling inside. So with the hoarding show, I'm watching this thinking, why isn't the psychologist giving this person another way to cope? That's the replacement coping mechanism that they don't have. They don't have a healthy reference for that. They don't have the resource to do something else besides hoard. So I watch this show and I'm thinking, oh boy, if they don't address that, then when they leave and the house is clean, what coping mechanism were they taught to do instead of hoarding? Because if they don't have another coping mechanism, they're going to hoard again. And, um, of course, that's my uneducated opinion because there's a lot that goes on and there's a lot of psychological aspects of this. You know, you got to deal with why they started hoarding in the first place, what emotions they're not dealing with. 
what are they resisting and what would happen if they stopped resisting that all the stuff that we talked about earlier but the show really brought to light how some people deal with certain emotions and certain pain and certain negativity in their life and it made me remember my own training from a long time ago if you don't replace the coping mechanism with another mechanism the behavior stays the same like I remember getting a message from someone who was I think it was anorexia somebody wrote a long time ago and said you know I used to experience anorexia all the time I used to do the behaviors and I started listening to your show and I realized that instead of doing the behaviors of my eating disorder I'm gonna breathe deeply instead now I didn't teach her that necessarily I don't even think I talked about anorexia back then but she learned that it's important to have a replacement mechanism in place because stress is gonna happen pain is going to exist suffering will happen and if your go-to is always a vice or some bad habit or condition and you don't change the go-to then you're stuck doing the same thing over and over again and I'm not saying this is easy this is not easy sometimes a professional is required but that's the direction I like to take if I ever have to deal with stuff if I know that my coping mechanism is to shut down and be emotionally unavailable and don't talk to anyone and lock myself in the bedroom then what I need to do is replace that coping mechanism with something else and I've had to do that I used to not talk to anyone about my problems I didn't want to be vulnerable I didn't want to show them that I was weak or scared I just shut down I just put it away so I knew I had to replace that coping mechanism with something else because that was unhealthy It was actually a cause of my depression way back when so I decided that it was important to do the opposite and this is my version of replacing my coping mechanism I decided that instead of shutting down as my coping mechanism I was going to express myself even at the risk of consequence meaning if I were afraid of looking weak or vulnerable or stupid I was going to say what was on my mind anyway that was scary and it is scary when I do it today if I feel something coming on and I normally want to shut down and just hide I'll go to my girlfriend or I'll call my mom or I'll just speak what's on my mind even though it's an incredibly vulnerable place for me to be in and what always happens is the opposite of what used to happen what used to happen when I shut down was I stayed shut down and I add a little bit more to that depression pool inside of me so that the more I shut down and the more I repressed the more I became depressed but when I started doing the opposite and started expressing myself I didn't become depressed I felt like I was releasing stuff and it was hard I didn't like doing it and like I didn't like expressing myself that way but I chose to anyway and what that did was gave me the opposite of depression which is expression and being external because depression is a very internal thing I'm putting thoughts and emotions and feelings inside of me and it's very unpleasant but when I take those thoughts and feelings and emotions and take them out of me and express them to someone else I feel lighter I feel more free inside myself and no negativity gets stored inside of me I mean there may still be stuff I need to work through and process but that negativity is no longer stored inside of me 
so I don't remember why I went off on that tangent. I think it was it started with the hoarding and oh yeah, people using coping mechanisms and replacing those coping mechanisms. So I think that's important. How do you cope? What are your coping mechanisms and are they working for you? For the person who wrote, if her coping mechanism is uh, purging food, clearly that doesn't work for her, so she has to find a replacement and it's not easy. It's definitely something you should do with uh, professional advice and professional guidance because I'm just a guy on a microphone giving an opinion. This is something that it's going to be different for everyone and I've never experienced that particular condition before so I cannot claim to know. But I do know emotions. I do know what ends up happening when we don't handle those emotions or process those emotions well. I know where that leads and we want to make sure that we have healthy, helpful, resourceful coping mechanisms. And I'm not saying that solves everything, but it's certainly a good start. So with that, just always keep an open mind. This helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.